listening to First Church Charlotte. I'll tell you what, you may be seated. Uh, I have a few praise reports to share with you I'm very excited about. Uh, the first one was uh, shared with me by Brother John. He had a, a, fam, a, was that your, a family member or a friend? Coworker, and was able to pray uh, for them and uh, almost immediately had a testimony that resulted from that. Uh, Carlos, uh, Brother Carlos's sister was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and she called him to tell him uh, about that. And I actually am doing a, uh, a teaching video for our leaders. I'm starting a, a weekly uh, video just a short video that I'm sending out to our leaders and, us, and he's editing it for it for me. And one of the things that I talk about is what does it mean to be a person of faith? And I, I simply say that means we put God on the hook. We don't believe we can do anything. We don't, we don't believe that we can heal anybody's body. I mean, if you, if you think that maybe you, need, maybe you missed your medication or something, I, I don't know. We are limited. We can't do it. But the person of faith is comfortable putting God on the hook. They say, I believe God can can heal you. So Carlos has been editing this, and he sent me this testimony, and uh, he said in his testimony, he said, I decided to put God on the hook. So I told my sister, I said, to tell you what, if God heals you, will you let me share the gospel with you when you consider giving your life to God and becoming a believer? And she said, yes. Well, today she went back to the doctor, and there is no cancer anywhere in her body. That's exciting to me. That's so exciting to me. Sister Lisa got a great report this week. Her doctor was worried about scans and worried about this and worried about that and sending her certified letters. You've got to be treated, driving her nuts, and which really might have been character development for you so you would understand, you know, your husband uh, better. And uh, just kidding, sis. So she went for a, a double biopsy on Monday, and she got the news yesterday that it was all just a mistake of the scan. She's 100%. Heaven is revealed here on earth when people of faith speak the name of Jesus and God gives his own testimony through the miraculous. Not all of us are called to be evangelists, but all of us are called to be witnesses. And so we tell our story, but sometimes God tells his own story in such a way that he gives his own witness. And when we share the miraculous, it is, I believe, very much a part of us demonstrating the power of God here on earth. Jesus said, these signs shall follow them that believe. One of those signs was that they would speak with other tongues, yes, but there was other signs, signs of healing, signs of the miraculous, even even, uh, even something so dynamic as demonstrating power over the grave. Jesus chose these things to manifest the power of God here on earth. Now, if we are 
his people. I'm, I'm going to get started because I'm teaching about this here tonight. If we are his people, we must do more than celebrate the victory of the cross. That is, that's a good thing. That is the gospel. We once were sinners, and through his grace and his mercy, we have been given salvation. Now, salvation is nothing that we did. There's no accomplishment on our part. It is a celebration of what God did at Calvary. Uh, we celebrate the victory of the cross, but more than that, we demonstrate the power of the name. Let me say that again. We celebrate the victory of the cross, but we demonstrate the power of the name. So I have, uh, I have, as many of you know, uh, written a book over uh, the last few years. I have somewhere here, I brought a, uh, a box. I have copies. If any of you have not gotten one, you can get one after the service. Um, uh, I will, if you promise to read it and you are tight for money, I'll just give you a copy. I didn't do this for money. Just set it right here, anywhere right here. Yeah. Um, this is uh, really uh, uh, my heart uh, in, in book form. Uh, one author said it, and I think it is so, uh, so true. Uh, writing is the act of turning blood's, blood into ink. <laughs> it's where you, you get a clean sheet of paper, you open a vein, and then you bleed all over the page. Uh, that's what writing is. It's very, very difficult. I am aware that most people do not read, and it's not because they don't want to read. It's because their life is structured in such a way that when they do finally have time to sit down, sleep chases quickly upon them, and they collect books on their bedside table. How many of you are witnesses of what I'm talking about? Um, now, I'm a reader. I am a reader. If you are a practical person, it may be an act of self-discipline for you to read. Um, I, I don't begrudge you that. It is very much, very much, very, very much natural for people, some people, not to be readers. Uh, and if you work hard, which most of, most of you do, your whole life conspires against you having quiet time, you having reflective time. And if you do find some quiet time, uh, hopefully you give the Lord the first of your quiet time and not to any book that I have written. Uh, but a pastor friend of mine uh, is in the process of teaching this book to his church, and he gave me some really good compliments that really touched me because I can tell when a pastor's just being polite and when they're really trying to tell you that something has helped them. And it really humbled me, and it made me revisit it, and he asked me the question, are, are you, I, I'm, he said it like this, I, I know you're teaching this to your church. And I was like, hmm, not... And he was like, really? You're, you're not? He was like, okay, well, if you, I mean, if that's what you want to do, that's fine, but I'm teaching it in my church. And it challenged me because um, this book really sprung from, it was birthed from a ministerial, a mid-ministerial crisis in my life um, that really happened about five, little over five years ago. And it wasn't something like I wanted to buy a Corvette, although if I could get one, that's a great idea. If you can talk my wife into letting me have a Corvette. It wasn't like a typical midlife type of man awakes to his morality and thus begins to pursue the things denied him in his early 20s. That's not at all what it was. Um, it was... Uh, more of a spiritual thing. Now, I had at the age of 29 uh, dealt with cancer, and so I felt like that I had an early exposure to midlife crisis and an early exposure to my own mortality. Um, so I pretty much had that one covered very well. But 
I realized that something can happen to you in your life where you are, you are, let me just, let me just say it this way. Has any of you ever felt like God thumped you? You, you thought you had things in line and all of a sudden the Lord said, hey, you down there. And he just kind of gently kind of thumped you. Because if he thumped you with any uh, malicious intent, you would no longer be here. Uh, we would be presiding over the dissolution of the atoms that make up your body. Um, it wasn't that kind of a thing. But I, I, I don't know if I want to go into the details of how it happened to me. But let's, let's, let's just say that it happened to me in a late night hour. As I was concerned about one thing, and the Lord used that to reveal my heart to me and challenged me uh, at a very deep level, and I, I told my wife uh, that morning that I, I, I really felt like I had been approaching things the wrong way. That led to a quite intensive seri a series of uh, Bible searching on my behalf. Not, not that I believed I had false doctrine. I, I've never believed that because, well, I've grown up studying the word of the Lord. Uh, unlike some of you who came to God as adults, uh, I grew up in the church and the church was pretty much all I knew. I was the kid sleeping under the pew. Uh, from the age of five onward, I was taken as an unwilling participant to every church work day that the church had. Uh, when we built this building, we started this building when I was 13 years old. I was uh, involved here almost every day. I would go to Eastway Junior High, and I would, after the service, or not the service, after the school day was done, I would get on my bike, and I lived two miles from here, and I would ride my bike here. On our typical day, I would get here to th about 3.30, and my dad would be here working, usually by himself when I got here, and, and he would kind of have something I could do. When I was younger, I did a lot of construction cleanup because that's pretty much all I was good for. You don't trust young people with dangerous tools, and so that's why, you know, anyway, moving along. Uh, but as I grew older, I got more and more involved, and really start from the age of 16 onward, I could take you around the church as it was then, and I could show you room, and I could say, I built those walls. I put that VCT floor down. I hung that acoustic ceiling. I installed that doorknob. I, I grew up from 13 to almost 16, 15 and a half here at the church working most days. And every Saturday I would be here working. This church has been the constant in my life from the age of five years old. I've been involved in every ministry there is to be involved in uh, here at the church, and, uh, except for ladies ministry. And there was a few years during my teenage days that I tried to be in ladies ministry too. Luckily for me, I was not allowed. This church is all I know. At the age of 18, uh, I went to Bible school and I uh, did a four-year degree. I did it in three years, but it was still a 120-credit-hour degree. And I, from there, went on the evangelistic field at the age of 21. If my son asked to become an evangelist at the age of 21, I'm pretty sure I'm going to say no. But things were different. Things were different then. I don't mean that we walked uphill both ways in the snow, although we did that too. I mean, it was just a different day. Uh, I was engaged at 21. I was a full-time evangelist, starving on the field, determined that I, I would do something for God, whatever it cost me. And I, I refused to go home. And the only way it worked is people felt sorry for this 21-year-old preacher who desperately, desperately wanted to be used of God and didn't know how. It helped me a lot that my dad was a preacher and my dad was a pastor because preachers who did not know me would have me because they knew if I did something stupid, they could call my dad. 
That's an advantage. I didn't know it at the time, but that's an advantage. Uh, I counsel all young men now that are trying to go out into ministry. Uh, they need to have a strong affiliation with the pastor, and any church they want to work in needs to know their pastor so they can have the sense of a spiritual father in their life. There's a benefit that's more than just uh, in, uh, an inheritance of uh, natural or in a natural world we would say like a genetic inheritance it's more than that it is it is a covering in your life it's like the apostle paul said we have many teachers but we don't have many fathers and so there is a there is a different role there and i i first year on the field um, i made six thousand dollars and the only way i could do that is because people would put me up and some of these stories i tell in first steps because i want people to have a, a sense of our church uh, my first year married, I made 100% more income. We made $12,000 our first year. Uh, we still had places where we did, couldn't we, we did, couldn't go. I mean, we, we had weeks where we had no place to go, and we would just look for the next available kind of district conference or conference or camp meeting, and me and my wife would go, and we would get there, and we would just show up, and I would just work the altar. That's all I knew how to do. Um, if you don't have some place to go, and usually they'll, you'll meet somebody. We survived on the kindness of pastors and the kindness of family who put us up, and I, I, I'm saying all that to say this. I, I, I am not in any way special in ministry. Stories of sacrifice are the common in ministry. They're not the exception. Um, I have no very few successful ministries who have had what is an easy way where they've just gone from one successful job to another until they arrived fully formed at the peak of the mountain and there their face shone like a great light. That's, that's, not, been, that's not been my exposure to ministry. I'm, I'm saying this to you because this church is my flesh, bone, and blood. This church, from the age of five years old, I have been involved, I have been associated. Um, you cannot go straight into a lead pastor role in any church of any size. Um, young men of limited talent and limited development, they usually are not placed in a role like that for uh, good reason. And I spent 10 years away, and when I came back, it was only because um, I had to. I was diagnosed with cancer, and I had nowhere to go. And I, quite through the placement of the Lord, found out that due to the a prayer, a lady's prayer service, uh, I had health insurance because the Lord had given my mother a word that I was sick, and she added me without me knowing to our to her group plan, and I ended up having health insurance. I had told my mom and dad I did not want to come many times um, because I was stubborn and I was vain, and the Lord knew exactly how to humble me. And so uh, the Lord put me in a situation where I had health insurance on one contingent, I had to live here. And if I didn't live here, I would have my health insurance canceled. And so whether or not I wanted to come here or not, the Lord put me here. And the closest thing to a divine sign in my life is that moment when God placed me here in, in Charlotte. I won't lie to you today. I've been tempted to leave a few times um, because I am sometimes thin-skinned and I'm sometimes weak in my, um, my ability to suffer pain. I don't have high spiritual pain tolerance. Uh, but every single time I've been tempted, usually by opportunity, 
opportunities that have come to me of other churches, other open doors. The reason why I've chosen not to do that is because looking over the whole of my ministry, there's one divine sign that stands above everything else, and that is how God put me here. I'm sorry, I'm going to get myself under control. So I have walked away. I've said no to every opportunity I've had. Some of them uh, have been churches twice the size of this church. Um, and it was because in my ministry, this has to mean something or I want to go back into business. This has to mean something. Do you guys, do you guys understand what I'm saying? I'm not playing church. I'm not going around at conferences, walking around, being big time. I'm not trying to play golf with celebrity preachers. Now, that world exists. I'd be a liar if I said it didn't. I'm not trying to be on boards with big names. I'm just, I want you to feel my heart here today. I'm not trying to do that. Business is way easier than ministry. And let me tell you a little secret. I'm pretty good at business. I'm not as good as some, but I'm, I, I'm not half bad. And I just want to say this, if this isn't going to mean something, if we're not going to hold the scripture carefully in our hands, then let me go back into business. Because I promise you that is easier than the difficulty with which ministers have to try to separate uh, the path that God would have you on from the path that people would have you on. And it is the most natural thing in the world to serve men and not God. And that's not my theory. It's repeated in the Bible repeatedly. Uh, in fact, Jesus, Jesus points that out as one of the errors of his time, but I don't want to get sidetracked. And so when the Lord challenged me and awoke within me this realization that this, ha that, you know, as uh, we, we all have influences in our life and we all have blessings from people uh, in our life. And if we're not careful, we, we serve that. You know, we serve uh, uh, kind of a history. We serve a tradition. I, I can't tell you. There, well, it's, uh, I can. Uh, several times in my life, I've talked to people who were of, of other faiths and they would see they would see some truth usually as a result of some type of a conversation or a bible study and they would see it but if you ask them to leave what was comfortable for them and take a chance and start over they wouldn't do that they 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 would see it they would appreciate it but they would not risk anything well in serving god faith feels like risk so how much are you risking um, I honestly believe, I honestly believe uh, that if uh, some way I were to decide that I wanted an easier way, uh, if I, I honestly believe, and this is just perhaps my own error in vanity speaking, but I, I deeply believe that if I just decided what I really wanted in ministry was an easy way, or what I really wanted in life was an easy way, I could find some ways that were much easier than this one, and certainly paid better. Uh, I'm not saying the church does not take care of me. I am, I, am, I am taken care of. That's not my point. I'm trying to say that there are many ways that are open to a life, and there's only a few of those ways, however, that are touched with uh, the grace of heaven and have upon them divine calling and eternal purpose. There are many paths in your life that you could apply your talents to, but they will not be graced with divine purpose.
There are many opportunities that are open to you that will not have eternal reward in them. They will just have temporal reward. And so if you are going to put yourself before God and you're going to answer this question, did I do my best? Did I apply myself? Did I seriously and humbly seek your word? Did I rightly divide it? Did I hold scripture carefully in my hand? Or was I in some way just kind of content to go the easy way, which has a lot less pain in it, a lot less, a lot less challenge in it? Uh, if you're going to really do that, you have to look at some things and you have to challenge yourself. And out of that, out of that challenge, that deep valley of my life, uh, came this 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 the book that I wrote, and I, I'm a writer by nature. I'll have more books in the future, but I poured myself into this book, and I I want to use it as a cliff notes to uh, our church vision, our church culture, and my ministry themes. And uh, I want to say first of all. In the manner of, of, I think, anyone who does something so audacious as write a book and then tell people about it, I, I, I do not want to pretend that I have any great secret. That's not my goal, and it's at times awkward to even put yourself out there. Uh, you make yourself fragile when you put yourself out there. It's much easier to stay below the radar. It's much easier to kind of hide your vision and disguise your way. Um, that, that's, that's, that is tempting, but it is, uh, it is incumbent upon us, at least for myself, to put myself um, out there and to in some way be authentic with it all. All churches wrestle with grace and truth. All churches wrestle with grace and truth. What do I mean by grace and truth? The first thing I would, I would want you to understand is that uh, John said this of Jesus. When Jesus came, he said that Jesus was full of both grace and truth, which is impossible for us. We, we cannot, we haven't the breadth of divinity, nor do we have the depth of divinity. And so we usually emphasize one over another. And furthermore, most of us are not scholars, and most of us are not scholarly. What is the difference? Um, a scholar is someone who has, has both the inclination and the opportunity to apply themselves in a formal way. Some of you, however, you have the inclination, but your life has not <clears throat> given you the opportunity uh, to have formal scholarly type training and you'll get to know people who are of that bent uh, some of you guys are that way you can read something that sister lisa has written and you'll can see that she's hungry for knowledge and understanding but she works in healthcare. Um, she hasn't had opportunity to also get a doctor of divinity Do you understand what i'm saying you can read some of the things that brother anthony posts and these are both people on our pastoral team you can read things that he posts online and you can see his deep hunger to know and to understand and to, uh, shall we say, uh, weigh the scripture and de derive understanding. But he is um, <clears throat> works uh, as a project manager in uh, the heating, cooling, mechanical world. And his life has not given him the opportunity to go get his uh, master's of divinity. Uh, that this, I mean, the future is there for all of us, but you understand what I'm saying. So uh, most of us may have a scholarly bent, uh, but we haven't had the opportunity 
opportunity to have formalized training. Now, some people are both scholars and scholarly. Some people are scholarly. We are all called to seek out the word of the Lord and to understand and to know what thus saith the Lord. We all of us should study to show ourselves approved. Now, to be fair, Paul wrote that to Timothy, who was a pastor and would be a bishop in the church, and so he had a greater responsibility to study and give an answer than a saint in his churches. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, most of you are very busy people, and you even so have a desire to know. What does it mean to be full of grace and truth? I will never know. I will only look to Jesus and see that in him was both truth. That is what we think of in terms of right and wrong. It is God's opinion on the subject of right and wrong. That is what truth is. Truth deals with us very harshly. Truth says that we are flawed, and truth says that we are a sinner, and truth says that we have been found wanting, and if truth was the only avenue for us to touch the kingdom of God, we would be without hope. But there's another part of God that is just as strong as truth, and that is grace or mercy. We can use these words uh, interchangeably. Grace is God giving us what we do not deserve, and mercy is giving us not giving us what we do deserve. I admit some of you remember the illustration I did there. Uh, so my, my, my point is this. All churches wrestle with this. Uh, the church is supposed to be a hospital. It's supposed to accept people uh, who are sick. We quote, they that be well have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. Jesus, as a example of ministry, shocked the righteous world to which he came. Jesus started, now I say righteous, not in an absolute sense of God's, of, of God's righteousness, but in a culture of human religion to try to fulfill God's law. They thought themselves to be very righteous. They gave their whole life to the keeping of the law. I don't care how diligent you are, none of us will succeed to put as much effort in our life as the average Pharisee did in the time of Jesus Christ. They were obsessive. They weighed out the herbs they bought for the kitchen and paid tithes on the herbs they bought for the kitchen. They worried about whether or not it was lawful to eat an egg that a hen laid on the Sabbath. None of us are that worried. Most of us struggle with seven days of prayer and fasting. And they were passionate. They're not just bad people. They were passionate. And I've never met uh, apostolic with any more passion than the average Pharisee. And they hated Jesus, and Jesus hated them. I'm talking about culture. I'm not talking about individual hearts. I'm talking about culture. They serve as an antithesis to what Jesus did not want his kingdom to be. And yet they did so many good things. In fact, let me surprise you. This is all information that you can find yourself. But I, I, 
I was shocked by this, and I, I don't know if you will be or not. They weren't the radicals. That was the Aseans. That was the zealots. That was the radicals. They were the middle-of-the-road people of the time. The Pharisees were, yeah, believe it or not, they were the middle-of-the-road people. And theologically, they got more things right than any other group. There were two great theological disagreements of the time. Uh, again, I invite you all to do your own research. If you think maybe I'm missing something, please meet me in the Bible. Meet me in history. And uh, maybe you can show me something I'm missing. That would be awesome. If you know, by all means, show me. Uh, so there are two great theological disagreements of the time of Jesus. First of all is whether or not we were eternal. Jews did not have a sense of salvation like we do. That's why they don't. Jesus doesn't use the language of lost and saved that much. He uses the language of the kingdom of heaven and an invitation to the kingdom of heaven. The Jews, what do you mean lost? I'm a son of Abraham. How, what, what, what do you mean lost? Um, th th that would not have resonated with them. Now, we get it. We understand exactly what they mean. Um, but that would not have resonated with them. And in the like manner, um, uh, so eternal life, did the, was there life after death? The Sadducees said no, there wasn't. This life was all there is. They were Greek-influenced. Philosophers of the day, Plato, Socrates, those philosophies influenced the, the, the Sadducees. The, Phar the Pharisees said, yes, there is life after death, and Jesus agreed with them. Furthermore, uh, on the subject of marriage, more, now it wasn't as fine a line there. Uh, there was a little bit more disagreement in the community if my understanding of history is correct. There is tons of great information among uh, Jewish scholars today within the rabbinical schools that's available to you online if you just spend some time studying it. Um, uh, there was disagreement on marriage. Should marriage be done through the mosaic system of the divorce or could a man just write a letter and say, you burnt my toast, see you when I see you? And the Sadducees, as a group, much more tended to any cause a divorce. And the Pharisees said, no, you have to do it like they did uh, with Moses, where you, you, there's cause. Um, there's, there's four causes for Mosaic divorce. Um, I don't want to get into that because that's another rabbit hole that I would enjoy going down, but not right now. And so uh, you see this. Uh, Jesus agreed with the Pharisees on marriage, and he agreed with the Pharisees on life after death. He agreed with the Sadducees on nothing, but he said not one bad thing about them. The Pharisees he agreed with, and he despised the culture of their relationship to God. He called them whited sepulchers. The hardest language in the Bible is against Pharisees. The harshest language. You are a whited sepulcher. That is fighting words in, Hebrew, in Jewish culture. You are pretty on the outside and full of dead men's bones. What he's really saying, to put it in modern vernacular, is I know you're religious, but you are death culture through and through. You are death culture through and through. So Jesus for years, I thought, was inspiring. He was intentionally provoking the Pharisees so they will kill him. After all, if you're going to have a murder victim, you need to have a murderer. I thought he was provoking them because he needed someone to hold the knife and sacrifice the lamb. I thought for years that that is why Jesus did such provocative or said such provocative words to the Pharisees. Would you like another surprise? 
Oh, you're in the mood. You know you are. You're just dying. It wasn't the Pharisees who killed Jesus. It was the Sadducees. So who set up the fraudulent trial? The Sanhedrin court. Who is on the Sanhedrin court? Sadducees. There may have been one, there may have been a a, a very minimal amount, like one or two Pharisees, but by a vast number, a supermajority, over a supermajority, it was Sadducee. In fact, the living high priest was Sadducee. His father, who had been the high priest before him, was Sadducee. And his father before him, who had been the, this is all Bible history, you can read it, um, had been Sadducees. The Sadducees, why did they fear Jesus? Because he had influence with the people. That's what they're afraid of. If Jesus would have just taken 12 and had a little church that basically did their own thing and didn't bother anybody, he would have never come to the attention of the Sadducees. But when the crowds followed, when they entered into the Jerusalem city shouting, King of the Jews, this was a shock to them and filled them with fear. The Pharisees received God's contempt and they didn't even they didn't even kill Jesus and secondly Jesus agreed with them doctrinally is it possible is it possible for us to have doctrinal agreement with the son of god and him despise the way we carry our truth i would say yes it absolutely is possible for us to be right and god despise us In fact, I think there's an example of this in the scripture where Jesus says in that day, speaking of judgment to come, there will be many who say, Lord, did not we cast out demons in your name, people of the name, okay? Cast out demons. They understand spiritual authority. And they're so authentic in their life that they fool the demons. This is important because you'll remember the story of the the sons of Sceva where uh, somebody wants to go and pretend to be powerful and they go try to rebuke him and the demons are like, oh, no, you didn't. What did you say? You want to cast us out? This is the demons, the book of Acts. This is the, you want to cast me out? No, here, here's the deal. Paul, we know him. We understand spiritual order. He's the real thing. You're just a, I don't know, trigger. <laughs> You're just some fly by night around here. Paul, we know, and Jesus, we know, but who are you? So here's a man who can't fool demons. Their life does not in some way manifest the rule of heaven enough. And the faith of belief enough to fool the demons. But there will be people that are so right. They are so right. Even the demons thought they were the real thing. And they get to heaven. And the Lord says, "Uh, I never knew you. Now that should make every sincere Christian look at their heart. And ask themselves, how much are they relying on the opinion of other Christians? And how much are they humbling themselves before God and saying, God, I've got to get this right. I'm glad my cousin taught me something in the scripture years ago, but my cousin didn't die for my sins. I've got to get this right. I'm glad, I'm glad that my great uncle uh, built a church over in West Texas. I'm glad for that, but he did not die for my sins. I need to know you. It's possible for me to be right and be wrong. 
Furthermore, it's possible to be, be right and God have nothing to do with me. And his summation of my righteousness is to say you are death culture. So if you think about this, I want to, uh, I want to remind you of this. Um, the Lord gets truth, that's good, right judgment, and grace in perfect balance. None of us do. We try. But it's really hard for us to balance truth, that's right and wrong, and mercy. What we really do is if we start doing good on the truth side, we start looking down at people who aren't doing as good on the truth side. How do I know that? Because I do the same thing. Um, if I'm really in a season of prayer, I get so, I get so proud of myself I can hardly stand it. Uh, oh, and then you start finding ways to name drop. You know what I mean? Oh, I prayed three hours this morning. I'm just a little bit tired. Just bear with me. My throat's a little bit sore. We turn truth into status. And we think effort equals excellence. And it is not the same thing. You don't show up and bribe God. It does not work. And so we... If we are strong on law, we begin to transgress on grace. And grace is the only area, grace and mercy, I'm using these two things as, as pretty much the same idea. Our ability to hold to justice in ourselves and love mercy for others. Do you see? What is required of a man that he walk justly, do justice, and love Mercy. What does that mean in modern vernacular? Justice is what you do with what you've been given. Justice is your choices. Justice is how you're going to live. What is mercy? That's how you, that's what you want and wish for other people. There's a great story of a pastor, but I love this story. I won't get into the details. I know the details, but I won't get into it. I don't think it'd be appropriate. Um, there's a, a pastor who um, was on a lake, and he was wearing uh, shorts on the lake, and he um, uh, had a picture taken of him. Now, let's just be real quick. Shorts are not a sin unless they are in some way immodest. You understand what I'm saying? If they hurt your testimony with people, then it would be, I think, sin in the sense of missing a mark. Do you see what I'm saying? I, I do think modesty is very much a part of our testimony, and I think as a church we should strive strive to maintain a witness and testimony. But in the Bible, they gird up their loins uh, because everybody wore robes. There was not, nowadays, you know, we have more distinctive types clothes in the in the the Bible, Old Testament, and New. Everybody wore robes, and so when men were working, uh, you can imagine how difficult it was to work in a robe. Um, you ladies work in skirts, and you know all about it. So men, when they were working, what they would do, they had on a robe, they would reach between their legs, and they would grab the back of their robe, and they would pull it up between their legs, and so it's kind of right here, and then they would tie it right here, a knot, and they'd tie it right here, so they have this kind of jams. Now, if anybody doesn't know how to do this uh, and you think I'm making this up, I, I encourage you to do your own research. There is actually some uh, videos of how to do this. There is some pictures on how to do it. But uh, men would work in the fields and they would gird up their loins. And when men fought, well, you ever tried to fight in a skirt? <laughs> My wife always whips me when she's wearing a skirt. Anyway, moving along. Uh, <laughs> I want you to see. So, so, so uh, how did I get on this subject? 
oh, he had a picture taken of him. Now, do I believe he was sinning? No, I don't believe he was sinning in a moral sense because the shorts were not some way that would hurt his testimony. They were not uh, uh, short in that regard. However, because he was in a very conservative area, a lot of other pastors instantly attacked him because of this. Now, I don't know I don't know what you're supposed to wear uh, if you're at the lake other than appropriate shorts, but um, he wasn't in any way immodest. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I, 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 I guess you can wear blue jeans. That's what I did growing up. Um, I nearly drowned 17 times because I had on them blue jeans. They weighed 30 pounds red. <laughs> anyway, moving along. But you, you guys know this pastor, and I, I, if I said his name, you'd know him, but I'm not going to because that's my business and not your business. So anyway, there was a lady in his church. She was herself from uh, that very, very conservative borderline. This might be a little unfair, but I think it would help you understand. Some of some conservative movements can be very harsh and very dismissive, and they can they can have this spirit of. Uh... Let me just move on. Um, she went around town. She was living on a fixed income. And, and his picture was on the cover of the newspaper. And because of what people were saying, she went around town and spent all the money she had buying every newspaper that she could and throwing them all away. Now, let me tell you what I love about that. Let's say, for the sake of argument, he had done something wrong. I don't think he was doing anything wrong. I'll let He has a master. He doesn't need my opinion. But I just want to say to you that I don't think he was doing anything wrong. There was somebody in his church who loved mercy. Did you see what I just said there? There was somebody in his church who loved mercy. Now, I would bet you every dollar my wife has made this month, praise God, (laughs) which ain't nothing. (laughs) I'll bet you every dollar she's made this month that that woman herself would not have wore jams at the lake. or shorts at the lake or anything, but she loved mercy. Do you see what's happening there? Walked in justice, but loved mercy. And so Jesus can get this right. However, as a church, we are in the broken people business. We are not in the business of creating a righteous society. We can't create righteousness. God has to do that. But we are in the broken people business. And we are in the sinner business, which means there's room for me. Because sometimes I need mercy as much as anybody. Okay, we are in the hospital business. Now, what's the difference in a hospital and a health club? Well, so thank you for asking. (laughs) I'm going to stop after this, even though I haven't got to the good stuff. Um. In a health club, you're only there for yourself. You don't go to the health club for other people. Okay? In a health club, you're obsessed with your needs and wants. And in a health club, you're obsessed with how good you look. And so they cover the walls of health clubs with mirrors. And people who are there, they wear earphones so you won't talk to them, especially if they're a pretty girl, because heavenly days, they just want to act like they... They dress like they want everyone to stare at them, and then they want to walk around like they want no one to stare at them. It makes no sense to me. I mean, let's just agree what it's going to be. 
I mean, they are so proud. They're like, bam, and boom, and they are so proud. And then they act like, oh, don't look at me. You should be ashamed of yourself, creep. That's just funny. I don't care what you say. You want to say, really? You don't want me to look at you. <laughs> and this was your plan to make me not look at you. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> I just want you to know your plan is not good. <laughs> your plan worked. The pretend, not so much. Anyway, moving along. I love women, and I love beautiful women. And if any preacher tells you otherwise and he is straight, then you should wonder about what he says. However, the Lord gave me a beautiful woman who should receive 110% of my efforts. That's all I got to say about that. And so, no comment on the 10% later, okay? So, what I'm trying to say is this. A hospital is very different. A hospital has almost no mirrors in it. No one is obsessed with themselves. If you want to, it's, it's a shock if you ever see a doctor because they just don't care. I mean, they, it's, they're like in scrubs. They're like, I, I, they just like do not care about whether or not they are looking attractive while they sit on someone's chest and do heart palpitations on their chest. How am I looking? Is my tricep showing? How much? Arch more back. Ooh, let me arch my back. Ah, ah, ah. Oh, I better stop. That was going bad fast. I'm sorry. I got to quit. I apologize for that. That was total accident on my part. I'm never going to live that down. Why? The doctor's not there for him or herself. Does that make sense? There's a point to being there, and it's someone else. That's why... Nobody, there's just a different culture between a health club and a hospital. The difference is what if someone is sick in a health club, they want you out of there as fast as possible. I've been to churches like that. I've preached in churches like that. In a hospital, if you're sick, they take you further in. They give you more help. They give you more patience. They give you more attention. And the health club, they want you out of there. And the hospital, they pull you in. So I deeply, 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 yes, I repeated myself a number of times. I, I want so much to get this thing right because... Um, I, I believe that we're going to give an answer. I'm not looking for an easy way. I'm not looking for a way where I can just cash my check and live big time. I deeply, deeply want to get this right. And out of that, out of that passion and out of that heart, uh, or that, that pathway of, of my heart, um, came a, a, a search for this. And so uh, this issue of grace and truth is going to be continually revolving. How long do you wait? How patient are you? How many times do we forgive? How many times, Lord, do we forget? How many times do we ask for more time for the plant? How many, you see the point? Uh, if we can get this right, I believe, uh, we can reflect the heart of God. And the highest goal in our life, I, sh I believe, is to reflect the heart of our Savior. Because we have freely received, and now we, 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 we freely give.
And I, I, I want to, in some way, share this and put this out to all of you. Um, we must, as a result, we must, as a church, organize around mission. If our mission is to perfect uh, saved people, this doesn't mean that there's no value in that. There is some value in that. There are churches that specialize in perfecting saved people. Um, that's not bad. That's, that's, that is a path of discipleship. That is, the, that, that, is, that is a certain, there's a value to that. Um, it's really good for reassuring, reassuring um, elders, and I'm very sympathetic to that because I am quickly becoming an elder myself. I was very sure I, I don't have to check my own spirit when I want to say, oh, really? Um, I don't have to do that. I can just let manage the church for my comfort zone. Um, and it's also good for reassuring parents, and I'm a parent also. Um, because as a parent, you don't want to expose your children to, to need. You want to protect them. You know what I mean? You want, that, you want to pretend that you can protect them from temptation. So I've got to quit. We as a church and we as a, uh, a direction very much uh, are, are committing ourselves to the direction of the mission. We're committing ourselves to casting our bread upon water. Uh, Brother Don and I were just recently able to go to an outreach conference that just in many ways just blew my, blew my, blew my uh, brains all over the place. I mean, it was just really amazing what some people are doing. And I was humbled by it, and I am uh, uh, more passionate than ever to be intentional in these areas. And I'll quit because I'm, I'm just going on and on. Let's stand across the house. Would you, would you step, out of the, step out of the chair you're in and just make your way down here to the front? And let's just stand across the front here together. And um, I, I want us to pray as a church, as a body of believers. I want us to pray this prayer. Simply, Lord, would you let me manifest your heart to this world? So we... We want to manifest the heart of a Savior to our world. We want to do justice, and we want to love mercy. We want to be strict on ourselves. We want to be tough on ourselves, and we want to love mercy for other people. Uh, we want to humble ourselves, and we don't want to rely on other Christians' opinions of us. We don't want to be like uh, the, the Pharisee who came by night so his friends wouldn't see what he was doing because <laughs> he cared more about his friend's opinion than he did about Jesus' words. We want to we serve God and not, not man. And all across the house, would you, would you just direct your heart heavenward right now? Lord Jesus, as a church, we are, we are overwhelmed with the work that is around us. We are overwhelmed with the hearts and the needs. We understand that Charlotte is a church city by some estimations, but there's no shortage of hurt in this city. This church is surrounded by neighborhoods where right now there are people who don't know what to do. They're, they're, they're empty with the solutions that this world would give them, and they are walking wounded. And they're all around the church, God. And, and while we're gathered here, um, it, 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 it could be that all around us are, are literally, uh, is literally a harvest field. And as a church, we're trying to organize ourselves around mission, Lord Jesus. The whole point of what we do on Wednesday nights, the whole point of, of what we do next door, all of these things are just trying to be mission, uh, the mission of God. Our, our whole endeavor of 
our whole endeavor of trying to reach, accept, include, embrace. Lord Jesus, we're, we're hungry for that. Would you grant us your wisdom and would you grant us your grace? Lord Jesus, we want to be a, a church you can trust, broken people. I, I believe that if you can trust us, you'll send people to us, God. There are people that you can trust with us. I pray that we would, we would develop the care and the wisdom and the long-suffering kindness, the gentleness, the goodness. Let it flow out of us to others, Lord Jesus. I pray for these people. I pray your anointing upon them. I pray your blessing upon them. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want to challenge you all to stretch yourself this week in this week of prayer and fasting. Um, I, I want you to put God on the hook with your faith. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't know how all this will play out. I've, I've been on a journey last few years and I, some of my pastoral friends uh, are on journeys of, of growth and direction and uh, I, I just I, I'm so moved by the testimony I've heard from the Elysios Church in Greensboro um, they this they, they've committed to prayer and seeking the miraculous as a testimony of God's favor upon them as a, a testimony of signs and they have they have gone hardcore and I take my spiritual hat off to them uh, they are putting themselves out there brother Licio, uh this past week or the week before a lady in his church a man in his church had I think uh, someone in his church uh, someone in his family passed away and was dead at the hospital and brother Licio felt this challenge in his spirit that he was he should not be ashamed to do to pray for someone to be raised from the dead and it went against it went against him i mean who of us has the nerve to do that i don't have the nerve to do that i'm praying the lord would up my nerve <laughs> i don't have the nerve to do it so he called the man in his church and he said would you like us to come down there and pray for for your family member to be raised from the dead and the, the guy in the church is like let's do it let's do it and he said, I walked into that hospital, and they told people on the floor what was happening. And he said, I had a congr I had a groups of people watching me. He said, I had doctors pretending to have reason to come and look in the room. He said, I had nurses who all pretended like they couldn't fix a computer, and they all were piled up in there to watch. He said, I walked in there, and I prayed for her to be raised from the dead. And he said, she wasn't raised from the dead. And he said, I walked out of there, and I felt like a celebrity in God. He said, because I had been willing to suffer and risk and try. And that convicted me so much because we're so quick. You know, we offer prayer as a sign of um, kindness, not as a sign of faith. Someone goes through something, oh, terrible, I'll pray for you. That's different than saying, I think God can do something right now. Would it be okay with you if I just spoke to that right now? I know, you see, there's something there of a faith-filled assembly, a faith-filled church. This past, this past Friday night, they, they got together, the people in the church, and they said, we're just going to go downtown and start praying for people. <laughs> that is so not my personality, just so you know. <laughs> that is not my personality at all. But they, they went out, and the stories, I talked to them today, the stories that they have, when a people cannot 
pursue the anointing and pursue the miraculous without having God just pour out mightily upon their life. And sometimes I am afraid that we have, we have made serving God into something that was comfortable for us and was reassuring for us, but did not really reflect what people of faith should be doing in a broken world. We've got to be people of faith. Amen. One more time, Lord, make us people of faith. I pray you would anoint us, God. Make us bold, not simply for the sake of spectacle. We're not seeking to exalt ourselves. We're not even seeking to create spectacle. That is not, that is not the way. But Lord, we are seeking to represent the faith of the supernatural in a society that has lost its passion for the supernatural. Lord Jesus, would you help anoint, strengthen, bless, guide? Set us afire and make us aflame. In Jesus' name I pray. Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you all. We love you. A ladies' prayer, 11 on Friday. Pastor's prayer, 9 a.m. on Saturday. Um, we also... Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four stars. By doing so, you will help others find it and also bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times and church ministries, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.